Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Busy show today. We are getting into harvest. I know where I'm at here in west central Illinois. We're on a kind of a rain delay for a while, it looks like, after getting a couple days of work in. Uh, Farmers are waiting out the rain that's in the forecast for several days, so we'll see how that plays out. Some forecasts is some really heavy rain moving through the Midwest. We'll keep an eye on that. Well, lots to talk about with the Farm Bill and Trade. Today we're going to talk with uh, Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation, his thoughts on the uh, the Farm Bill Conference Committee that's underway. Interesting day yesterday, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. A uh, lot going on with China, threat of more tariffs uh, by the Trump administration. We're going to talk with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, and uh, get her thoughts on where we're at with this uh, situation between the U.S. and China. Also, speaking of China, as we've noted for some time now, they are dealing with African swine fever. We're going to talk with the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. Liz Wagstrom will join us for an assessment of that situation in China and what uh, the U.S. pork industry needs to be keeping an eye here uh, to make sure that doesn't uh, that disease doesn't spread to the United States. We're going to talk about the Ag Aid Package and more with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin a little bit later on as well. So lots to, to get into. Let's start things off with our friend Philip Brasher from uh, AgriPulse Communications, who's covering the Farm Bill, the Conference Committee. Phil, thanks for joining us. Interesting day yesterday. Everybody got their speeches in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, that's, that's pretty much what it was, uh, and they were pretty much saying uh, the same things, a lot about SNAP work requirements. Uh, from the Republicans and uh, to some extent from the Democrats as well, criticizing those. Uh, a couple other themes that emerged was rural broadband came up quite a bit, the importance of that. Uh, a lot of interest also in funding the animal uh, vaccine bank and uh, those other programs to com- uh, combat uh, animal disease. Well, there was talk of some uh, compromises, some uh, new ideas uh, to try to get around uh, the uh, impasse on on SNAP and some of those things. But I guess uh, we they have to wait for some uh, CBO scoring to see what those things are going to cost. Right. There was uh, a discussion yesterday afternoon, about uh, two hours uh, actually, uh, I'm told uh, between the four principals, the chairman and the, the committees, and the ranking Democrats. Uh, those those are the uh, the four that are really uh, doing the negotiating here. Uh, and they spent uh, qu- uh, quite a bit of time, I'm told, uh, talking about um, a food stamp and its work issue. They talked about uh, uh, possibly restricting how states could waive the, uh, how easily states could get waivers for the work requirements. That seems to be where there's a possible compromise. Uh, but yeah, now they're looking for some cost estimates uh, to see what, what uh, how these things will fit in, whether they can do them. Interesting, the high-level interest in the Farm Bill. You have the uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, actually involved in the process. He's pushing to get this thing done right away. And, of course, the president's weighing in. He wants to see a Farm Bill uh, with those work requirements in the uh, in SNAP. So some pretty high levels uh, being weigh- you know, that are weighing in on the, this particular Farm Bill. 
Yeah, yeah. Both the president and the vice president were on Twitter, and then the president brought it up uh, with congressional leaders yesterday afternoon. And I'm still very uh, intrigued by uh, Senator McConnell, uh, the Republican uh, majority leader's uh, interest in this bill. He again very uh, explicitly uh, brought up the political implications of not getting this done. He, he clearly sees uh, some political. Uh, uh, this is politically important uh, for the fall campaign, um, and suggested there's going to be repercussions if they don't get it uh, done by the the end of this month. Well, can they get it done, do you think? I, I thought it's interesting. We saw some comments uh, from uh, Chairman Conaway basically said this thing can, can move fast or it can move slow. Uh, we're going to kind of wait and see. Uh, we, we've seen that in the past. When the, Sometimes it can all fall in place and everything just goes really quickly by their standards, but we know more often than not it drags on. You know, it's the high-stakes negotiating your, uh, negotiation. Uh, you're... you're you know what you're saying in public and maybe different than what you're saying, but both of them are trying to trying to use their leverage as much as they can. It, it's I mean it's going to be a real tall order to get all this stuff wrapped up uh, um, through Congress uh, or, or even get it wrapped up this month. Uh, is it possible? Yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, there's some uh, there's some tough issues to be uh, to be settled and. Um, you know, is, is everyone committed to getting it done um, publicly? Yeah, but uh, it I mean, it's, you know, whether they can do it, it's, it's just very difficult. Yeah, both the Chairman Conaway and Ranking Member Peterson predicted that the lawmakers would need to get it done in just over a week if uh, the final legislation would have a shot at making it to the president's desk by the September 30th deadline. So, wow, that that would really be on a fast track. Well, they have a timetable that they're working on, um, and because it, it, it requires you've got to get these all these cost estimates from uh, CBO. That takes time. Uh, these numbers can come back, and they don't come back quite the way you uh, want it, and so you got to go dick around with the numbers. And so it's, you know, that's, that's why it's, you know, they really have to have something agreed to in the next few days. So. Uh, all right, what's the schedule now? Uh, back in session today? Uh, they're back in session today, um, you know, but in terms of uh, the Congress is uh, they're coming back. They said they wanted to get some numbers, uh, depend on when those, in terms of these, these uh, four principles on the farm bill. So they'll be... Um, these talks will continue. They're obviously behind the scenes, not in not in public. Uh, so we'll see how these uh, how it goes over the next few days. It's it's very much a day day to day thing. Yeah, yesterday was the public. You know, it was a day for public speeches, so uh, all the members could uh, show their constituents back home what they were doing and uh, what they were standing up for. They get really photographed doing it. That's right. You get the big four together, and what they do is really what sets the uh, tone and uh, direction for for this farm bill, and that that's not always as public. There's more a lot of that behind the scenes. All right, Phil, thanks a lot. We'll, uh, we'll watch your reporting on this. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Philip Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, the big four, of course, are your chairman and ranking members of each committee's uh, Conaway and Peterson on the House side and uh, Roberts and Stabenow on the Senate side. And they're really they're the ones uh, that have to come some, to some agreement. And uh, those talks are going on. They do need some CBO scores to come in on some proposals. So 
A lot of work to do, and they're trying to get it done now in a really short period of time. More on the Farm Bill later in the program. Coming up next, we're going to talk about this Ag Assistance Package with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Farmers are feeling the pain from President Trump's trade war. Brent Bible farms in Lafayette, Indiana. Today we farm about 5,000 acres and raise primarily corn and soybeans. Free trade is essential to the ag economy. This is not a war that I signed up for. It's not a war that I want to be drafted for. Our farm and many others like ours will be one of the first casualties of the trade war. President Trump, stop the trade war. Paid for by Farmers for Free Trade. TariffsHurt.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, I have to admit, I'm not real good at predictions, but some are easy to make. And I remember saying when first talk came out, first mentioned possibility of some kind of ag aid, ag assistance package was being talked about. I remember saying, well, someone's not going to be happy. And that's exactly proven to be true. Uh, easy prediction to make because it just was 
going to be impossible to keep everybody happy in any kind of assistance package. Now that we have uh, one in place and uh, it's getting underway, obviously soybean farmers are getting the most of it, so they're happier than corn and wheat farmers and some others that aren't so happy. We're trying to get more details on how they came up with this formula. that's kind of hard to get those details uh, as more questions continue to be asked. Remember last week at the Farm Progress Show, Secretary Purdue was asked about the formula that they use, and he kept uh, defending it without really explaining it. Let's talk about it now with Scott Irwin, ag economist at the University of Illinois. Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your uh, analysis and your assessment of this formula they came up with for ag aid? Well, at this point, we don't know enough details to really say much other than the general description of the approach, which is supposedly the standard approach uh, applied in these kinds of matters when there's a damaging tariff put on by another country. Secretary Purdue has said that USDA use calculations that are known to economists that will calculate the tariff damages, but acknowledge he understands why some are are frustrated. So, okay, um, <laughs> known to economists, so that means there's there must be some kind of a blueprint they're working off of here. And, and that's right, and I think that's what's actually puzzling. I would certainly like to see that blueprint that ends up with a 43 cent per bushel payment for sorghum and a one penny payment for corn when they are such tightly related feed grains in terms of their use. And Secretary Purdue keeps talking about, well, look at where the tariffs were enforced and where we had shipped corn. It kind of sounds like, well, if you look at China, we send more soybeans there than we do corn, so obviously soybean growers are going to get the bigger payment. That that seems to be kind of paraphrasing, but the oversimplification perhaps, but that kind of seems to be the, uh, the model there. Right, and that makes perfectly good sense. Given what has uh, transpired, uh, soybeans are by far and away the biggest export uh, of the crops that we're talking about to China, and they've had you know, the, clearly the largest magnitude of impact from the tariffs, and it makes sense that that would be much larger. The key to me is, you know, I'd would really like to see how they got a ratio of 43 to 1 for sorghum to corn payments. It's it's not so much that soybeans, you know, is uh, over 80 cents. Uh, corn should be much, much lower than soybeans. But one penny, I, and then you give 43 cents to sorghum, I'm just struggling with the, those relative magnitudes. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Now, we may learn more in the coming days. Um, uh, Secretary Purdue has mentioned USDA Chief Economist Robert Johansson as kind of being the guy maybe that helped put a lot of this together. And uh, Johansson is scheduled to appear before the Senate Ag Committee next week. No doubt he's going to get a lot of questions uh, uh, asking about uh, explaining how they came up with this formula. So maybe we'll learn more then. That's right. You know, and... uh... You know, I know uh, Rob personally. He's an excellent uh, economist, and I am confident that they applied, uh, you know, good, sound economic analysis. Uh, You know, what I would like to see 
is, you know, what was the original analysis that his shop did, and then how did that potentially get changed in, uh, given political sensitivities within agriculture? Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear that explanation. Uh, do you think uh, WTO concerns played into this at all? No, a lot of thoughts about that. I, I don't think so, because uh, for it to be a WTO concern, it would have to be uh, a multi-year program that, and not in response to some other country. So I, I don't think I don't think so. But I'm not an expert on that, so I'll, I'll reserve uh, an opinion. A lot of questions, and maybe we'll get the answers soon. Meanwhile, uh, we're we're getting into harvest, and uh, a lot of this is going to be based on the harvest, of course. Uh, you know, we have to wait for the numbers, uh, so a lot of uh, producers will wait till they to get those harvest numbers. Uh, early sampling, but uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on what we may be looking at in this harvest and uh, and its impact on the markets? Well. Um... For soybeans, I haven't seen anything yet that would indicate anything but a true bin buster on soybeans. You know, obviously it's very early, particularly for soybeans, uh, but at least here in Illinois, I'm hearing some phenomenal yield reports. Um, so I, I think I'm pretty confident that if not in September, uh, certainly by October, the USDA yield estimate will go up by at least a bushel. Uh, corn, I'm in the camp that the USDA is going to ultimately come down, and the early yield reports I'm seeing uh, don't have so far the huge corn yields that would be consistent, say, with Illinois being at 207 bushels an acre. So I think that we'll come down two or three bushels on corn and probably up a bushel or two on beans is where we're headed on the national yeah. average. Sure seems to be headed that way, but it is early on, and, and we'll see as those combines get a chance to roll a little more. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the RFS. Uh, there's been some uh, questions raised about just how much damage is being done by uh, EPA's actions with the, the waivers and uh, mm-hmm. uh, its impact. Uh, I know you've been weighing in on this. What are your thoughts? Well, it's uh, really complicated, so I'll try to you know summarize it as quickly as I can. Um, basically, I think that the actual damage of the SREs in the physical market for ethanol are limited because E10 is like a floor on ethanol usage, and that's, I think, unaffected by the SREs because um, ethanol in our current 10% blends is very cheap. It's right now, in fact, about ethanol is about as cheap as it's ever been relative to gasoline. So we're going to use all we can in the 10% blends. Probably uh, giving up some expansion for E15 and E85, but you know we're talking maybe a few hundred million gallons at most. So it's it's not a big effect on ethanol physical demand. Where you should be seeing the impact of the SREs is actually on biodiesel because biodiesel is the marginal gallon for filling all the different buckets in the RFS. And so I think as we sort all this out, we'll see that. Uh, uh, the real bearer of the pain 
getting from the SREs is biodiesel rather than ethanol. Yeah, the small refinery exemptions uh, continue to be a, a hot debate. Uh, meanwhile, the debate also whether or not we're going to get year-round sales of E15. Obviously, uh, too late for this year. We'll be looking ahead to, to next year if it actually ever happens. Uh, what do you think the impact would be if that is granted, Scott? Well, I'm I'm conservative. I mean, it, directionally, we know it ha- it would have to help E15 in the long run. I mean. It's hard to get people to invest in a new fuel if you can't sell it all year. So that makes perfectly good sense, that it will help spur. But I think it's probably going to be um, pretty slow and modest, um, given that the RINs that are needed to make that really work are, at this point, priced too low. So um, it will help, but I, I don't think a lot. And, of course, it remains to be seen if it's part of a a package that uh, also uh, sounds like they're still trying to come up with a package to give something to the oil industry as well. Exactly. You hear a lot of different things, and it's certainly um, that's what you hear coming out of the Trump administration is they feel like politically they have to give something more to the refiners. which I find rather ironic in the in the sense that in the form of the SREs, they've already been pretty much given everything they wanted. So uh, apparently they want even more. And so I think that's kind of the, the way to summarize where the negotiations stand. Uh, you know, the ag and biofuel sites is already reeling from what's already been given through the small refinery exemptions, and they're certainly not going to at least if they have to, agree to um, further um, concessions to the refining industry. More battles ahead. Scott, always good to talk with you. Thank you for joining us. Always my pleasure, Mike. Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, talk about trade with U.S. and China and the problems there. Stay with us on AOA. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Global stocks dropped on Thursday as investors awaited the latest developments in the U.S.-Chinese trade dispute and efforts to rewrite the North American Free Trade Agreement continued in Washington. Wheat futures trending a bit lower on this Thursday, while corn is firm, soybeans trending one to three higher. Egypt yesterday bought 60,000 tons of Russian wheat in a tender. 
the continued dominance of Russia, suggesting the U.S. is not competitive as a supplier in that region yet. Chicago wheat on the charts yesterday, the 10-day moving average acting as nearby resistance for the market, 534 and three quarters. On the downside, support seen at a test of 518 and a half, the August 28th low. An hour into the day, Chicago December hovering around 518 a bushel. Minneapolis spring wheat, two and a fraction lower, two to three and a half lower in Kansas City. In corn futures, December at 365 and three quarters, up a fraction of a cent on the charts for December corn, the market rebounding in recent days off new swing low support at 355 and a quarter. That'd be the low from August 29th. Soybean futures trending a fraction to a penny and a fraction higher. Initial support on new crop November lies at 828 and three quarters. That'd be the low from August 31st. For livestock in the Merck and live cattle futures on a Thursday, we're trending in a narrow mix, a dime on either side of steady. Feeder cattle trending on 57 cents. Either side of steady money, October up 42, 151.90. Lean hog futures, 20 to $1.60 higher. Cash being called steady on this Thursday. The Dow up 21, crude oil up 6 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we wait to see if a deal can be worked out to bring Canada back into NAFTA and get it worked out to get a deal done. Of course, uh, we're also keeping a close eye on what's happening with China and the president seemingly close to putting more tariffs on uh, Chinese goods. And uh, where does that put that situation? Let's bring in Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thanks for joining us again. What's your assessment of uh, where we're at now? I mean, just from the outside looking in, it sounds like it's getting worse, not better. (laughs) Mike, thanks for having me back. Um, Yes, it does look like it's getting worse rather than better. Uh, I don't. I feel like I constantly come on with not great news. So, what I can tell you from where what we're seeing in Washington. There are no indications that the two governments are sitting down to work out their differences. On the good news front, things seem to be going on as predicted. Uh, You're right, the administration is expected to impose a new round of tariffs 
in the coming days, we've heard as early as Friday, um, it may slip into next week. If, if we have, you know, in the, the good news category, if no announcement comes in the next few days, hopefully that's a sign that things genuinely are moving in the right direction. Now, we, of course, here uh, on Adams on Agriculture, we look at it from an agricultural standpoint. You give us a broader perspective. Give us uh, kind of your state of uh, where we're at as far as business. What is being done between the U.S. and China during all these uh, uh, trade tensions? So um, what you probably can see is uh, there's a lot of uh, press releases and comments going back and forth. There were discussions in Washington about two weeks ago at what's referred to as the deputy level, so the number two level in a variety of agencies between the United States and China. Our understanding is that those discussions were worthwhile. So they weren't talking past each other, but they didn't make any um, tangible progress on resolving issues. But that in itself was actually progress from our point of view, because the two sides have sat down and talked past each other uh, for several months now. And so to know that both sides seem to actually be listening to each other and hearing what the other was saying is what gives me a little bit of hope that this may have a resolution sometime down the road. That may be several months down the road, though. So two ways of looking at this. One, uh, we keep hearing that China is in no hurry uh, because they think the midterm elections coming up here in the U.S. puts actually more pressure on the United States. Uh, and so they're, they're willing to wait till after those to really see any real movement. But on the, and plus other, now we're seeing that the U.S. trade deficit numbers are out showing uh, it's up to 9.5% in July to more than $50 billion and uh, that the monthly U.S. trade deficits with China and Europe both hit record highs in July. So does this put pressure on one side or the other to get something done? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I think uh, the trade deficit's been going up, and that probably is a reflection of folks who recognize that tariffs are on the horizon and so trying to get as much good uh, into the United States prior to those tariffs being imposed as possible. I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight on the idea that the Chinese are waiting until after the midterms to make an offer on anything. More likely, in my, in my point of view, is that also scheduled for November is the next most likely time that President Trump and President Xi Jinping would have an opportunity to meet, and that would be near the end of the month at the G20 meeting that will happen in Buenos Aires. This, the, both governments are widely recognized as being places where only the president is the one who has the authority to make a deal. So part of what we are hoping is going to happen between now and late November, regardless of what happens in the midterms, is that the working-level staff and those deputies and perhaps heads of agencies can talk to come up with an agenda that the two presidents can review by the time they sit down together in November, agree to it, and then move on beyond what the tariffs are. I don't want to be a Pollyanna about these things because there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and when it comes right down to it, the issues that the United States is focusing on with China, so intellectual property rights protection and technology transfer, are very difficult issues, but we do have that date in November that's coming up that gives a a significant opportunity to try to get to some resolution of some of these issues. So that's kind of the next big... uh milestone to look at in this uh, ongoing process? 
Uh, uh, one more question before we let you go, Aaron. There's a lot of concern, I know, in the ag world that um, uh, long-term damage is being done, that uh, through this, China's looking to other suppliers and will will shift more they're buying to them. Others say, no, they've got to have us. They're going to need us uh, moving forward. Uh, how, how do you look at that situation as far as the long-term impact of what's going on now? So we talk to not only companies in the ag sector, and that's, you know, farmers, but also farm equipment manufacturers, pesticide companies, uh, fertilizer companies. All of them definitely are saying exactly what you and and your listeners are hearing, which is that there is going to be some lingering damage from this. The challenge of how long the long-term damage is and how bad it is is one that's difficult to assess. But there's a couple of things that we've seen in the past, and that is, Once you've lost market share, while the United States may be able to regain some of the ground that it's lost once we get to the end of the tariff battles that are going on, you don't necessarily always make up all of the ground that you had lost. So growth might stall at, let's say, your company was growing sales at 5% a year. You might hold there for six, eight months while another country's um, ag producers are growing. Once things get resolved, it might continue to go back to 5% growth, but you're not going to make up the ground that you had lost. The ability of China to genuinely replace U.S. agriculture is something that we know they're exploring. That's not a short-term solution for them. Um, All of the data and all of the the wise people who look at this tell me that Brazil is going to be able to meet a lot of the production for the immediate term in, say, soybeans. But in order to develop entire new areas of Russia or Brazil or any other location around the world to create the volume of agriculture products that the U.S. produces and sells to China and around the world and the infrastructure to get it from a farm to a port and then into China is going to take a lot longer. So there will be some long-term losses, I think. I think it's going to be shaving some percentage points of of growth once we get past all of this. Um, And there is that threat that the long-term damage of lost market share when China finds alternative sources could come up. But I think for the immediate term, we should focus on the fact that we need to get past the tariffs and make up that lost market share as quickly as possible. That's Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron As always, thanks for joining us. Great perspective. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Take care. All right. So another story we are watching in China is uh, they're dealing with African swine fever, and that always raises concerns. Could that spread to the United States? Joining us now is the chief veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. What's your assessment of this uh, disease issue in China, and how much of a threat is it to come to the U.S.? Hey, Mike. Thanks for asking. Um, The concern with African swine fever, obviously, is that we have a lot of international trade, whether it's people, products, et cetera, moving throughout um, the globe. And so we are obviously really concerned that people don't bring it in either with illegal meat imports or that we um, correctly make sure that the imports we're bringing in to the United States are safe. What is this? What can you describe African swine fever? Or, or tell us about the disease and what we need to be watching for here in the U.S. Yep, it's a um, 
it's a disease that varies in intensity, but the the type of African swine fever that's moving throughout Europe and now into China is a really high mortality disease. I mean, we hear about 70, 80, even up to 100% mortality. Um, animals get sick quickly. They have um, they bleed easily. You'll sometimes see um, bloody diarrhea or blood from from um, the anus and the nose. They die quickly. You open them up. It's, the spleen is huge, but um, but that's not unlike some of the septicemic diseases we would see, whether it would be a really hot salmonella or even a classical swine fever. So what we're really uh, encouraging people to do is if they have any high mortality, make sure that they get their veterinarian out there. Make sure that the veterinarian considers whether African swine fever could be one of the potential diseases they're looking at and and take those appropriate steps to get, get the right diagnosis. Is there a vaccine for it? There is no vaccine, and it's not for lack of trying. It's a it's a very big virus, very complicated. They can't figure out exactly what part of the virus causes um, or would um, induce protective immunity. So um, millions of dollars over the years between the U.S., Europe, and other countries, Russia as well, working on trying to get a vaccine, and and doesn't look like there's one anywhere close. So. Is there a real threat to the U.S. pork industry or just just a need to be on guard against it? Well, we definitely need to have a heightened awareness. And, um, again, because we do so much global trade, whether it's in, um, in people moving or moving of um, ingredients that we might use in feed or movement of animals, you know, we're just needing to make sure that all of the protective um, steps we can take are in place. Um, it's good to have this heightened awareness. I think it makes all of us a little more careful about what we do every day. Um, but definitely, I think we there is a threat. We just need to make sure that we take all steps to address it. All right, Liz. Thank you for the update. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, we'll come back, wrap things up. Looking more at the Farm Bill, Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be no matter how urban or rural you must always call 811 before any digging project 811 is our national one call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site you must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities this includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Farmers are feeling the pain from President Trump's trade war. Brent Bible Farms in Lafayette, Indiana. Today we farm about 5,000 acres and raise primarily corn and soybeans. Free trade is essential to the ag economy. This is not a war that I signed up for. It's not a war that I want to be drafted for. Our farm and many others like ours will be one of the first casualties of a trade war. President Trump, stop the trade war. Paid for by Farmers for Free Trade. TariffsHurt.com. I live alone, so when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center, where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone. For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. Call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, welcome back. I want to uh, circle back to the farm bill as they continue in conference committee. I want to get some thoughts from Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Um, your thoughts, uh, we had the day yesterday, which was mostly speeches, but we know there were some things kind of going back and forth on maybe some compromises on SNAP and kind of waiting for some CBO scoring and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts about how this is going and, and whether they can get it done this month? Well, I think everything that uh, points to yesterday and leading up to yesterday and in, in conversations with staff is uh, we should be optimistic in farm country at this point that uh, progress is being made and negotiations are taking place. Everybody's still at the table. Uh, I don't think we saw too many surprises from statements yesterday. Um, and that work continued into the afternoon before between the four principals. Uh, and we know negotiations are still going on uh, this morning. Kind of interesting. Uh, you have the confirmation hearings uh, for Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh and w- going on at the same time, and and there there seems to be a definite strategy by those opposing him to try to stop his confirmation. Do you get the feeling though in the Farm Bill Conference com- Committee that's going on that there's a feeling let's get it done rather than than try to stop it or try to start over? Yeah, I mean I think that was the key that really showed itself yesterday. If you got to see much of the. Uh, uh, the the conference meeting was uh, a call for bipartisanship for compromise for uh, to get this done all the way from you know leader McConnell to uh, other conferees so I think that's once again a reason for us to be optimistic even though there is a very tight window of a, of about nine to ten legislative days to get this done on time before the end of the month. Uh, Majority Leader McConnell's presence on this and his obviously interest in the hemp portion of the bill and wanting to get this thing done uh, this month. Uh, how much is that, does that actually help move this forward, do you think, his presence? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it sends a strong signal that uh, he's engaged. I mean, we watched this whole process play out. He was there at markup. Uh, we found floor time before the 4th of July recess. Uh, and then him appointing himself to the conference committee and then showing there and, and making those statements that he did are all uh, very helpful, I think, moving the process forward. But we can't lose sight that, yeah, obviously there's the hemp provisions, but there's also a lot of things in both bills when it comes to dairy that are, that are improvements that folks like Mr. Schumer's interested in seeing for folks back in New York in the dairy industry. And so uh, I, I think the clock, the pressure of elections coming up, it's going to be hard for either side to come home without a farm bill and and that's the pressure we're we're hoping to continue to apply from the grassroots side that uh you know there's a way to get it done and and there's no reason not to get it done at this point are they in agreement on crop insurance uh from what i can tell uh i don't know of any major disagreements we definitely didn't see anything publicly spill out um you know once again uh, we didn't see a ton of reforms in either bill, um, mostly recognizing the value and importance of crop insurance. So I, I'm not picking up or expecting that to be uh, much of a sticking point. What about conservation? There have been some uh, uh, differing views there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, anybody, everybody can tell that the challenges revolve around SNAP and nutrition. And then probably the other big sticking point uh, on a philosophical lens, maybe not a budget lens, is the conservation, although that has a budget component to it, how you put those pieces together. Um, but what I can tell in my discussions with staff and attitudes is uh, progress is being made. I, obviously, there's some issues that 
uh, need to be made at the member level. Uh, but at this point, there's no indication that, that agreement can't be reached. But obviously, we're not into the landing zone yet. And what about the money part of it? Uh, again, we're waiting for some CBO scores on some different things. But uh, uh, how much is uh, uh, the spending part of it going to play into this? Well, and I think that's where we're kind of getting to the point of uh, where, why I'm at least optimistic, even though the spending point is a piece of it, is that we're to that point. And so, you know, you look at the two bills and there's dials uh, on different titles to, to hone this in. And so if we're to the point that uh, we think we've got a couple different proposals that, that the principals have put forward, uh, hopefully the budget part will work it out. But And that may lend to forcing some decisions, um, but obviously it's an important component. Andrew, not getting too far ahead here because we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with Canada and NAFTA, but I, I think it's going to be interesting. I've said all along the real challenge on uh, NAFTA may not be negotiating the deal, although that's proven to be difficult, but getting something passed in Congress. Uh, how do you think, it, without knowing details, uh, how do you think uh, that will go when, it, when that time comes? Well, I think it's a little premature. I think we're optimistic that we're seeing progress, that notification's been sent. Um, but there's still a lot of lot of work to be done. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of pressure to get get these deals done. I, you know, I, I think there's been pessimism throughout the year uh, related to ag issues, but we've seen a ton of progress with the Bipartisan Budget Act earlier with the cotton and dairy provisions. We've seen fixes with the reporting and, and animal waste with CERCLA. You know, a lot of folks say we want to be this far along with a farm bill, and yet here we are. And so uh, for me, I think for us as an organization, we'll continue to make sure and encourage our farmers to speak up and speak out to get Congress to get the job done. But um, I don't think we can have anything but optimism. That's all we got hanging on with uh, how tough markets are right now. And really can't can't ignore the impact and the influence of the uh, the elections coming up. A number of members of the House and Senate Ag Committees are in some tough re-election battles, and uh, that that does play a part in all this. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think I think it's tough, uh, especially for any rural members, to, to come home and not have a farm bill done. And so uh, that's why we're obviously encouraging them to get, get them done. And uh, I, I think that's why you're seeing the urgency uh, here in the Capitol that we do have a window um, to do this, uh, and it doesn't get any easier as, as the months progress if we – don't necessarily get it done at the end of this month. So what do you think happens today in the conference committee? Well, you know, really the formal conference committee, you know, the, the one rule of conferencing is kind of done. That was the formal statements yesterday. Uh, you know, the principals kind of take in all the statements that were made. And, uh, you know, once again, a lot of the negotiation goes to that kind of small inner circle of, of, of the House and Senate uh, principals um, to work through what they heard. Um, but, uh, we know staff's going to continue to work. The principal's going to work since we're all back in town. And, uh, you know, I, I think everything continues to be positive. And so hopefully we'll continue to see progress as the, the, the day goes forward. Very good. Andrew, thanks for the update. Yes, sir. Thank you. Andrew Wamsley, Director of Congressional Relations with the American Farm Bureau Federation, as uh, he gives us his thoughts on the conference committee work on the Farm Bill. Lots going on. We'll see what happens with Canada and NAFTA. And keep an eye on this farm bill and much, much more. Stay with us again tomorrow as we'll have the latest on these and other stories as well right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.